The Last Word with Matt Cooper. We're never going to give John Gibbons up in his weekly environment spot. He joins us now to talk about lots of issues and we will have another guest with us in a moment. But I want to start with the European Parliament vote yesterday on, what was it, on rewilding effectively? Well, it's really about on the nature restoration law. This has been a, this has been a, the hot ticket really uh, in in environmental circles for quite some time and it's been a it's been a kind of a, a pitched war really at european level between the what you might call the the progressive left and the the, the right and center right the, the the battle lines have been drawn for quite some time and uh, one of the most powerful groups in the parliament which is the epp the european people's group of which of course fina gale is a member has really been fighting tooth and nail uh, not to amend or to to give us a better version of the of the nature restoration law but to kill it completely that has been their stated objective uh, throughout. Now, in fairness, the Finnegan MEPs yesterday voted in favour of what you want. No, absolutely. And, and I think, well, what we all want, really. Uh, and it is an interesting thing. All 13 uh, Irish MEPs, Matt, voted in favour of this law at the plenary session of the European Parliament yesterday. And in fact, that was decisive. It was the, it was the if you like, the loss by the EPP of their Fine Gael members, uh, all the Fine Gael EPP members, probably, I should say, at some political risk to themselves, because uh, the guy, if you like, whipping the EPP, this guy Weber, uh, takes no prisoners. And the EPP's language and, and, and approach around this issue has been extraordinary. Various people have equated it to Trumpism in Europe. They've engaged in scaremongering, in all manner of stretching, shall we say, credulity to breaking point, which is really quite unusual for what you'd consider to be a sober centre-right grouping. And it appears that what the EPP are doing, in fact, are chasing the far right. They're worried, particularly with sort of some of the farmer agitation we've seen in, in places like Holland, that they're being outflanked, if you like, on the agri-vote by the far right. And rather than, if you like, regaining the centre, they've, they've taken that old Tory trick of simply lurching to the right instead. Okay. No, there's something else. I want to bring in a guest because Kevin Murphy is with us from To Go Cup. He's just the chief executive and founder. And Kevin, you know a lot about Killarney's decision to be the first town in Ireland to stop using single-use coffee cups. Tell us about how it's going to be implemented. Matt, how are things? Thanks a million for having me on. Uh, yes, I'm just on my way back from Killarney after a very busy three days. Um, to give you a kind of short and sweet answer on what's going on, we have 45 businesses tackling single-use cups across the town and outer area, ranging from hotels to coffee shops to any sort of coffee business, effectively. Um, and how they're doing this is through three key steps in line with the government's plan for the latte levy. It's first, they want people to bring their own keep cup or equivalent. Unfortunately, the stats around that kind of show that we'll need some other solutions. Uh, the second is to sit in and have a, have a cup of coffee and enjoy the incredible hospitality provided in Killarney. Or the third is to implement to-go cup, our deposit and return system. So how this works is really, really easy. When you go down to Killarney, you can pop into any of these connecting businesses, order your cappuccino, pay for your cappuccino, and then pay €2 Euro extra for your to-go cup, a reusable cup. You can go about your day, enjoy it, and you can drop it back to any of the participating businesses or the other 350 locations nationwide and get your €2 Euro back. So you haven't spent any money, but you haven't had to use a single-use cup. Or else you just keep the cup and you get it for just €2, Euro, which is probably cheaper than it would be to buy in the first place. It would indeed. A very happy solution in the middle if you're good at using them. <laughs> but the, the reason I ask is I would know Killarney very well. It's a town I regularly visit. Love going there, but it's a real tourist 
trap. I mean, it's a place where Irish people go, where a lot of Americans go to. I can't imagine that many tourists would arrive with a keep cup in hand. They go to buy their coffee, so they are looking to do a takeaway. Yeah, absolutely. It's why our solution kind of sits in the middle. As you said, not many tourists will be coming with a keep cup in mind or a reusable cup packed. So the option of having a to-go cup there and no single-use option will provide that solution then to the tourists in particular to pick up a cup, pay their two euro. They'll even be able to drop back to the majority of the hotels within the Clarny area and hand it in to get their two euro back. So the cups will still stay within the circulation and they haven't had to have a paper cup then. So we're hoping this has a huge effect on the waste levels within the Clarny area, but also pr- promote reuse within the consumers. Thank you very much for being with us. Kevin Murphy of Two Gold Cup. What do you make of this, John? Do you think we'll just catch on? Yeah, I think it's a it's a useful initiative, Matt. Uh, I think the last time I heard a data on this nationally is 200 million uh, coffee cups alone thrown away in Ireland every year. Some of them make it into recycling, many don't. Mostly, mostly end up in general waste. It's a staggering amount. You multiply that out, out over Western Europe, North America, Asia, the numbers are just insane. And, and the weird thing is that up until maybe 10 or 15 years ago, we all managed to get through our day without, uh, well, first of all, without slurping multiple coffees. This is, of course, a whole new invention, and I'm not trying to diss the coffee trade, but just making that point, we did manage, for example, there was this amazing phenomenon that people were able to get into a car and drive from one location to the other without balancing a coffee cup in the in the middle. So it is a sort of a cultural shift, and I appreciate the people selling the coffee have been great at pushing this idea that you can't go more than 100 metres without being armed with a coffee. And, of course, part of the issue with that, of course, is that it creates this mountain of waste. And I find every event that I go to, especially on on the, on, the, on the green spectrum I've been handed these um, uh, reusable uh, water containers and so on and the problem with them is I don't quite know what to do with them right I don't I don't have a purse so they're too big for my pocket so I kind of go no thanks uh, and you know maybe could I have a cup that maybe I could wash or maybe when I'm finished with it you could wash so I think we're sort of trying to solve problems here that we've sort of also created. And I think part of this, if you like, to me it rings a nostalgia bell, Matt. There was a time uh, for the older listeners in the audience, I include myself in that, uh, when we had things, for example, when you bought a, a, a mineral bottle, you paid a penny or two deposit on it, which meant that the kids, even if you didn't bother bringing the bottle back, I can assure you, the kids, certainly when I was when I was a kid, we were scouring the place looking for, looking for uh, metal, or not metal, uh, glass bottles to bring back. So that eliminated the waste. So I think it's sort of one step forward, one step back. And do you patch on the elbows on your jackets and on your jumpers as well? Well, that that would be a fine thing. I'm I'm not, I can't claim to be too handy in in, in that particular regard. There's a reason I ask, and it's not just because of nostalgia for the times past that you just (laughs) referred to. The French have decided to incentivise this. That's right. Uh, I suppose we often hear the three R's. These are reuse, reduce and recycle. And all we ever actually get to do anything with is the recycle bit, the the third or. But in fact, what we're supposed to be doing is, number one, reduce our use. Number two, reuse. And then only when they fail should we be getting to recycle. But those first two have gotten forgotten about. What France have done here, and, and, you know, you've got to give them credit for it, they've brought forward this idea or this proposal that from October, people will be able to claim back uh, between 6 and €25 Euros on the cost of mending clothes, uh, which includes shoes and so on. Uh, they calculated in France alone that 70,000 tonnes of clothing uh, are being discarded every year. And about two-thirds of that, maybe 50,000 tonnes, Matt, are ending up in landfill. It's a colossal waste. So the idea here is a very old-fashioned one. Let's say your shoes wear out a little bit. 
right, rather than chucking them out, you actually go to a cobbler and get them repaired. Believe it or not, in my part of the country, in, in Dunleary, there's actually a cobbler on the main street. So there is a demand, but the, the problem really is you'll find that that service at the moment has only been provided to probably people maybe over the age of 60, over the age of 70, because, of course, they're in the habit of making making and mending. You know that old phrase, hmm. make and mend. And what we're looking at here from the French government is really just, uh, if you like, getting back to some some values which include cutting down on the amount of crap that we not just produce but that we throw away and to think about it to reuse it and to and when it wears out get it fixed and the great thing of course about this Matt is that it also means that you're creating a whole secondary industry local employment in doing this type of work and I think it's a fantastic uh, initiative from the French to actually support this uh, with some money that they've ring-fenced from their from their uh, recycling okay, budgets. Okay, lots of comments coming in relation to the recycling of cups. Will this result in paper cups being replaced by plastic cups and then plastic cups been dumped? No. It's single use. It's been gotten rid of so it's things that you can actually recycle you can use again is the issue uh, another one here that says um uh sorry it says my, i use my own travel mug for my tea but none of the hot water dispensers are high enough for the mug to fit under this happens all the time so you end up getting a paper cup to fill your mug this will have to change if it's to be encouraged says anne in kilkenny okay the hot weather in southern europe is worrying you yeah, it, this is a, certainly a pretty predictable uh, story, Matt, and, and we've got a new heat wave, and it's called, for the classical scholars out there, it's called uh, Cerebr- Cerebrus. Right, and this apparently is named after a three-headed mythological monster uh, from Dante's Inferno. And this particular monster was was a guard to the gates of hell. So some Italian meteorologists have taken a, a lyrical flourish in in naming this heat wave. And apparently, it's being followed by a heat wave which is due in next week called uh, Sharon. And this is named after the Greek figure who ferried the dead from the gates of hell. So uh, what that translates to is yes, we're getting more and more extreme heat waves in Europe. And let me give you one map that, that certainly uh, knocked me for six uh, when, I, when I read about it. Yesterday in Spain, in parts of uh, southwestern Spain, ground temperatures, these are not air temperatures, ground temperatures were recorded at 60 degrees centigrade. This is the highest ground temperatures ever recorded in Spain. So this happened yesterday. Uh, we're seeing it right across the continent. And this follows, again, we've been speaking about these, as you know, quite regularly. If we, if we go back to April, we had a heat wave in Spain in April where temperatures hit 38.8 degrees centigrade. That was the hottest April temperatures ever recorded in Spain. That same uh, heat wave across Portugal, Morocco, Algeria. And uh, what's called a climate attribution study, Matt, uh, has confirmed that the likelihood of, of a heat wave of that extremity last April was increased approximately a hundredfold by the underlying climate signal. So this is not rocket science. We're pouring more and more emissions into the atmosphere. We're ratcheting up the temperature. We're pushing more energy in. And people, for example, who are online will be seeing incredible footage from the UK, from from, uh, Europe, from America, from Asia. Incredible footage, Matt, of flash flooding. Absolutely extraordinary flash flooding. And of course, the, the evil twin, if you like, of heat waves are flash floods. We know, for example, that the, the, the global atmosphere is now carrying up to 10% more moisture than, than it had been, in, in, if you like, in pre-climate change eras. And what that means, of course, is what goes up comes back down again. But unfortunately, rather than coming down in the soft rain we're used to, it's now coming down in these torrents. You want to talk about speeding? I do indeed. Yeah, this this caught my eye, uh, Matt. It was a it was a something that did, 
Galway TD Kieran Cannon mentioned in the Dáil during the week and it is a survey that was carried out of 45,000 vehicles uh, passing through Crockwell in County County, uh, Galway and 84% of them uh, were recorded in excess of the 60 kilometre speed limit but incredibly the average speed of cars passing through Crockwell was 88 kilometres so they were almost 50% over the speed limit now this is 45,000 cars so what it sort of said to me Matt is basically we have an epidemic of speeding in Ireland. We've tried various things, uh, speed cameras and so on, they don't work because people figure out where they are and so on. And we've been looking at this. There are fancy high technology solutions, for example, modern cars since since July 2022, all all new cars have to have the ability to recognise speed plates. So so in theory, you could have them automatically slowed down. So when a car enters the 30 zone, it can be slowed down. That would require legislation. But The one, and I've been doing a little bit of research on this, the one that is without a doubt the simplest, the most elegant and the most effective is to introduce uh, corridors, narrowing corridors, where you basically take a a road or a street and you narrow it down and you put preferably metal poles on either side of it. This has been proven time and time again because this suddenly places the onus on the car driver or on on the van driver because now they're watching their sides. You also match this up with high curbs. And what this does, Matt, is that it filters traffic through and it means that the the, the normal, if you like, protective instinct of the driver is to watch their wings. Because I wouldn't like to be a pedestrian crossing the road in Crawford. I'm surprised the speed limit is even 60 kilometres per hour. You would have thought in a village it should be dropped to 30 kilometres an hour to make it easier for pedestrians. But when you set it at 60, 60. People go beyond that and it comes in as 88. Yeah, they take 60 as a kind of an advisory and say, well, sure, we'll maybe stick on another 10 or 15. You're absolutely right. The idea of going through rural villages at that speed, I mean, it, and it also means that people are, are, as you say, they're risking life and limb to get across the road. In France, for example, in many rural areas, the speed limit is 30 kilometres an hour. So I think we have a problem here. We have a car culture problem. And that problem is, for example, and this is something that Kieran Cannon pointed out. He said that TII, which is Transport Infrastructure Ireland, he said that they are consistently stalling on traffic calming measures. And I think, I may be wrong about this, but I believe the reason for this is that TII takes an engineering approach and their job, as they see it, is to make cars move more quickly from point A to point B. But there are other considerations. And of course, as we're in an era where we're trying to engineer a, a transition away from over-dependence on the, on the private car, what we need to do is to make the roads safer for other vehicles. And the number one thing we can do to make the roads safer for other road users is simply to reduce the speeds. But as a listener here arguing which is saying if 45,000 cars have gone through at the average of 88 kilometres per hour, 28 kilometres over the limit, you, you haven't said there was a single accident which suggests the speed limit is too low. I'm sorry, I completely disagree with that. Uh, just because they haven't managed to kill anybody in that particular time frame, uh, road fatalities to pedestrians doubled in 2022. So anyone who thinks who, who, who thinks that that's okay, I'm sorry, I strongly disagree. Another listener, Mark and John Garvin, argues with the issue of narrowing the roads going into these towns, because then how are large vehicles like delivery trucks and cranes supposed to get to sites or shops in those areas? They can still get through. There's very little difference, Matt, between the width of a, of a, a lorry and the width of a car. And bear in mind, the narrowing of these is done, I and mean, this is done by road engineers, it isn't, it isn't guessed, and they calculate the width of the widest 
this vehicle that is required to access it. And it's done on that basis. But I've watched videos of cameras placed observing these these particular um, uh, obstacles and they're fantastically effective. People, and by the way, the larger the vehicle that you're driving in, the slower people go. We've gone way over time. John Gibbons, thank you as ever. The Last Word with Matt Cooper. Weekdays from 4.30. Today.